0: Hello, and welcome to a very special podcast. Well, they're all special, really, but this one is special because it's our third birthday. Happy birthday to us! Of course, there are other reasons why this is a special podcast. And today, I'm joined by two of our lovely community. First, I'm going to have a chat with Craig Kidner about pretentiousness in relation to haiku. Or at least, I'm going to give you part one of the chat he and I had. Then, as usual, there's a little bit of renku, the end of our latest renku, and to close the podcast, a Highbun reading by Jennifer Hambrick, a first for the podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes, because there's an awful lot of information in them this time. Before we get started, there's a little bit of housekeeping to do, and very importantly, there's an apology. On the last podcast, episode 18, the one on loss, I got someone's name wrong. I hate doing that. Names are very important. So, Nina Singh, my sincere apologies to you. This is Nina Singh's haiku Old Age Home. The leaves fall with no noise. Now I'm going to be in and out of hospital quite a bit in the next couple of weeks. I'm having surgery, so if you send me any emails and I don't get back to you as quickly as usual, that's why. James Young is going to help me out with guest editing the next topic, which is social issues. Please send your haiku and senryu to me via email by the 1st of November, please. And I'd ask just that you keep the verses on social issues rather than political ones. I want to steer clear of politics on the podcast. Before I offer you the audio of part one of the chat I had with Craig, I just wanted to say there might be a couple of blips on the audio because it's taken from a Zoom call. And as good as the quality is, I have less control than if we were both in the same room. I hope you enjoy it. And as I said, there's lots of info from the chat on the show notes. Today, we're welcoming Craig Kittner. Now, Craig and I have a lot of virtual conversations, but today I'm really pleased to introduce him to all of you so we can have one of our virtual conversations in front of you all. Could be embarrassing, but let's see how it goes. Welcome, Craig. Over to you.
1: Well, Thank you for inviting me to explore this uh, rather tricky subject. I hope we can do it justice, and uh, I hope we can spark some uh, novel thoughts you know, among the community. So let me begin by sharing a little something from, uh, well, it was kind of a starting, a start of a turning point for me. A little over a year ago, I attended my first Haiku North America conference, and I was at the opening reception for it, and I always feel a little shy, you know, in a gathering there where I don't know anybody. Uh, you know, I would met some of these people, you know, virtually, as you say, but uh, I never been face-to-face with any of them. But I saw a table with a couple empty seats, and I decided to sit down and see if I could join in whatever conversation was going on, and uh, within seconds of me sitting down, somebody just blurted out, well, I just don't see how Tundra can be considered a haiku, <laughs> and from that, a lively debate started at the table, and I joined in, and, uh, and immediately felt, I'm at home, I'm with, you know, I'm with my pack kind of people, <laughs> and uh, I know you explored the uh, this well-known one-image haiku during uh, your first series of the podcast, but I'd like to take a, a the subject again, you know, a little briefly here. And uh, now for any listeners who don't know, Tundra is a haiku by Cor Van Den Weevil. It appears in his book, The Window Washers Pale, which was published in 1963. And it was a uh, self-published uh, book. And it's actually available at the Digital Library of the Haiku Foundation. And uh, I'm sure we could get the link up on the show notes. So the haiku is the word tundra. Just that all alone on a page. it's about three-fourths of the way down on the page, actually, so. And if, you're, if you are familiar with it, uh, I'd like you to try to remember how you responded to it when you first saw it. Now, for myself, I had heard about it before I actually saw it in a publication, so my reaction was a little tainted. Uh, kinda like a movie that you hear a little bit too much about and then you go to see it. Never quite that pure experience again. But um, when I think about it, I can actually I can see how it could be easily dismissed. for instance you could take the stance that a one word cannot be a haiku or you could label it you know you could label it as silly or uh, pretentious and then you don't have to spare it any thought patricia that's really why i wanted to be involved in this discussion about pretension in haiku because when you raised that specter back in episode 14 uh it got my back up a little bit i knew you were going to say that and i
0: thought oh no (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, let me apologize. Didn't mean to do it. Carry on. Uh,
1: yeah, no problem. Uh, but you know, I've been in, engaged in uh, art forms of several types throughout my life. And usually, when someone uses a word like pretentious, I see it as they're generally trying to like write off whatever they're they're dealing with, so they don't don't have to deal with it. You know, they just label it, and then I don't have to think about it anymore. And and fairly often, uh, things that are labeled like that actually turned out to be the innovative and groundbreaking kind of work. Well, to put it in the kind of perspective I'd like to look at it in, if you write haiku, when you read haiku, you're inevitably going to come up to some pieces that are just problematic for you. You know, They might sound wrong to your ear, or they might you might think they're too simple or too complex, or they don't fit in your definition of what a haiku is, or... You simply don't understand them and uh, question is how do you respond to that that actually to me begs the question of why are you reading haiku in the first place now if you're reading it for pleasure okay you just problematic ones you just skip over them you find the ones you like and you just enjoy your reading but perhaps maybe you're reading it to see how your haiku stack up against other haiku and if you're doing that then you might be tempted again to label the problematic ones as bad or not really haiku or yes even pretentious and um you might then get a little feeling of smugness about your own work and at that point i'm you might want to consider re-examining your priorities <laughs> just saying but if you're reading as a true dyed-in-the-wool writer uh, you're going to dismantle any problematic haiku and see what makes it tick yeah you know if it's bad What's ruining it? If it's not a haiku, why isn't it a haiku? And if it's pretentious, what makes it pretentious? And you're going to do that because of a love for the craft, and you want to better understand it, because that makes you a better writer. So to give a couple of anecdotes, you know, when I was, uh, when I was younger, I was more involved in the vis- as a visual artist. Yeah. And when I see a painting I don't like, I can tell you exactly why I don't like it in minute detail. Or another example, my wife, she's an accomplished chef. And when we're out at a restaurant, if she gets a meal that doesn't meet her expectations, I get to hear everything what the kitchen did and how they got it wrong. You know, <laughs> it's actually, uncanny.
0: It, it is. That example rang a bell with me because I, I used to work in hotels. Ah. And, uh, so we've got to the point where my poor husband's like, oh, do we have to stay in a hotel, please? No. <laughs> Just, no. Because I like your wife and her meal, I'm dissecting know they did that wrong, they did this, I can't enjoy it. <laughs> it's right. horrible. But anyway, sorry, didn't mean to enjoy oh, it. No problem. No
2: problem.
1: <laughs> it's actually like my day job is I'm a customer service manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I get bad customer service again. Mm. I can, it's like, I, I want to tell them exactly where they should do. <laughs> but uh, but see, but, you know, but that's what true dedication to some, some craft gives you. It gives you a discerning eye or a discerning palate or in our case, a discerning ear. Mm. Yeah. And the funny thing is, Sometimes when you start to pick apart a work that's problematic, you uncover something that makes it really sing, you know, and things click and you realize it actually does work. And those awkward brushstrokes in a painting, maybe that actually gives the work a, a raw power or an unusual flavor in a dish um, might actually end up being enticing. Yep. Or uh, that one word on the page actually unlocks a whole world of associations. So... <sighs> You know, as I said in the beginning, Haiku North America, it gave me a, a, a turning point. And the reason I say that is, you know, I went to that conference thinking I had a pretty good grasp of what haiku was, you know, and I actually even had my own little definition of haiku that I was inordinately proud of at the time.
0: Are you going to share <laughs> it with us?
1: Oh, you know what?
0: Too embarrassing. Okay. It's actually, <laughs> no, it's,
1: it's not too bad, but it's actually, it's been incorporated. Every, you know, actually, a lot mm-hmm. of times when I talk, you know, we've talked before about how to me, you know, one of the most important things is that that transmission of experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, spending all that time with all these other haikuists and just, like, really getting into the essence of what haiku is, it, it really convinced me that there is no all-encompassing static definition for haiku. It's a living, breathing art form. Mm-hmm. And like all living things, it evolves in response to changes in its environment. Yeah. So, like, you know, when new technologies come along or or we have new understandings of nature or there's new social and political forces or new writers and new writers from other cultures get involved in English language haiku. And new pandemics arise. Uh, All these things cause haiku itself to, to change and evolve. So when I look at Tundra now and it it excites me, you know, it's like looking at history you can love it. You can hate it. You can dismiss it that really doesn't matter because it's part of the living essence of what haiku is. And it undeniably had an impact on how haiku has evolved over 57 years since it came out, you know, to get back to the question of pretension, you know, we could look at it like as readers and we could find examples in recent publications of where we think pretension is sneaking in. Uh, but I really don't think that's in keeping with the nature of what this podcast is about.
2: You know, mm-hmm. I think
1: we should look at it like writers and ask ourselves not how do we respond when we see it in the work of other people, but how do we handle it if it crops up in our own work? You know, when I uh, first started emailing you about this subject, I I said, I really want to divide it into three different categories. So um, I'd like for us to maybe explore that. And, uh, you know, the first one is actually pretentious as it's defined as expressing a sense of superiority Mm -hmm. according to uh, the Webster's or as we in the southern states in the U.S. say, putting on airs. So I guess my question back to you, throw it back to you right now, is: Do you find that cropping up in your work?
0: I gave this a lot, a lot of thought. I mean, this is something I really hoped I didn't do, and I started thinking about it. I mean, when we way back when we started having this discussion, and you, said, you sent me the email with the three definitions. And first of all, I wasn't sure about the three definitions, but as I've worked through it preparation for today, I'm much happier with with that definition process that you went went through. So to go back to it, I, I did a lot of reading because I felt somewhere deep in my psyche that there must be a lot of poetry that came across as putting on airs. But anyway, I, I went back and I went through I went can't tell you how many poetry books I read to try and find these poems that were somewhere in my psyche and were, were upsetting me you know, about pomposity and and Mm. arrogance and and sort of the elitist nature of poetry. I was really pleased because, A, I didn't find that many. Uh, The one I did find that I thought illustrates the point that I dislike most was, and I don't know if you know it, it's um, Ulysses by Alfred Lord Tennyson. And I'll put the Mm. link in the show notes so people can go back and read it. He was writing in the 1800s. This particular poem references a lot of Greek gods, you know that would probably have been okay in his time because he was an educated man he was writing for an educated crowd but i had to read a lot of that sort of stuff when i was in school i i am now fairly well educated but at the point when i was first being exposed to this this sort of poetry oh, i didn't know anything about anything much about greek gods i wouldn't be able to place anything certainly couldn't read Greek and it's uh, in ancient Greek and it's original format still can't but you know the people he was writing for would have been able to do that so I mm. think that's the sort of poetry that I was exposed to way 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 back and that sort of gave me a fear of pomposity in um, in poetry mm. this is my haiku book I went back to the very beginning I write small and I went back to have a look and see had I done that I'm very pleased to, refer, to tell you, didn't find anything there that either that, that I could find. But then I got to thinking about it further, and I thought, well, you know, when you're being a pompous ass, then it's sometimes difficult to understand <laughs> that you're, you know, you're being so pompous because you're possibly writing about things that you're very passionate about or things mm. that you're very knowledgeable about. And I think you and I once had a conversation on Twitter. I think it was you, but it's way back about another person's piece of work where they were so into their, their speciality, that they, their haiku contained a lot of spe- uh, specialist vocabulary. Right. And then you and I got to talking about whether, well, does that, does that work as a haiku? And I won't go into that discussion. But I, then I thought, okay, rather than go back to that discussion, I'll um, try and write something about one of, something that I'm very passionate about. <laughs> I love glaciation, right? I'm a geographer by training, but academically. I'll just read them out because obviously not everybody is going to watch this. They'll be re- uh, listening to it. In the cirque, only a dusting of snow, ablation. This summer, walking through the cirque, ablation. They're all you know, perfectly good, I suppose. Works in progress. I don't know if I'll ever continue with, with them. But for the purposes of this conversation. It was just to illustrate that if I started using all these technical glaciation terms, I could come off as a bit sort of elitist in, in the mm. way I was writing them. But also, as I was doing it, I started to think, well, the other problem with that is if if you do go into this sort of elitist, pompous way of writing, nobody's going to read it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what you think, but
1: just might that. never get past the gatekeepers <laughs> yeah, yeah they
0: won't they won't get past i mean those won't get past ablation if it ever comes to to fruition that that word's going so that that's the problem i had with it i don't, don't yeah. know about you
1: well i think yeah i think that's definitely when you if you are deep into a, a specialist type of um interest thing yes mm-hmm. you must be careful about uh and actually interesting enough to reflect back to what i said about my um, my day-to-day life or my, mm-hmm. uh, my paying job yeah uh, you know one thing that as a customer service person you, you train all your people is don't get into jargon you know don't don't be hitting yes. people with a bunch of words that are you use regularly because of the, the internal nature of what you're discussing but they don't maybe necessarily know that word oh. uh, so find another word uh, yeah. which again kind of fits in nicely with the editing process we've been talking about that you know that reach for your thesaurus or whatever you to say. Okay, <laughs> oh nice. yeah and we'll Actually, get into words a lot more on our next one too. i was gonna say
0: i i wanted to talk to you a little bit about that a little bit later in the in the discussion yeah. but anyway back back to you sorry i don't want to
1: well no i just i was gonna say for me um i've got a and as kind of befits a, a haikuist uh i have a very strong interest in nature i was you know my father raised me to hike out in the woods and really respect mm. Nature and also, you know, anybody who loves nature is having a difficult time of it right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, with the state of the world. But for me, the danger elements uh, of getting into the pretentious side is, you know, getting too preachy, where my interpretation, I'm trying to drive that home too strong uh, Actually, instead of letting somebody discover it on their own.
0: Yeah, I, I had that down as uh, something I wanted to talk to you probably in this sort of another part of it. But while we're here, I think that's a very interesting point of view particularly if you're um if you're involved in social media you you, (laughs) you put your 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 ideas out on social media i i I tend not to just because i don't really have the time but you i do read a lot of preachy stuff on on say twitter and i have to i say that sort of preachiness turns me away from from the poetry i'd rather i'd rather go back to to um i don't know a more subtle Yet yes. simple approach.
1: Yeah, so, subtle is definitely the word that comes to my mind too. And and I can tell you for me a, a red what could be a red flag that maybe mm-hmm. I'm is simply using the word I. If I if I <sighs> see the word I in one of my haikus, I have to question it very strongly. Do I really need that? Should it mm-hmm. really be there?
0: That's that's really interesting because next year I want to do the topics. You know, the monthly topics we write mm-hmm. about. One of the top topics is taking yourself like right out of the the piece of work
1: you know it's interesting i, I have bones uh the bones journal had one just recently uh, i don't know if it was the last issue of the issue before but it was a you know the submission he said right on the submissions there will be no <laughs> me right. no i yeah none of this. and mm-hmm. what i found interesting is the people who basically you could tell kind of worked pretty hard to to keep the spirit of it <laughs> yeah not that was a, a minor minor part of it but um it, it was a you know having submitted for that one um it was a challenge to uh, to really just make sure not only am I not using the word, but I'm not even using the concept. Yeah, now, I don't. You know, I'm not going to say you should never use I or any of that, but there is a difference between like the universal I and the very personal I.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: we have to keep an eye. Well, uh, should we move on to the second uh, category? Oh
0: we... yes, go for it then. Yes.
1: All right. So, second ca- category, rendiloquence.
2: Yes, we're trying to
1: show off verbally and. Funny thing is that uh, grandiloquence is actually a grandiloquent word it, <laughs> itself. I think <laughs> it is. But, um, but what about word choice? You know, um, one of the things we're told in haiku that we should really focus on is simplicity of language.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, you know, but are there times when choosing a fancy or fancier word is going to capture the feel better? As, as it comes to mind. Uh, one other interesting thing I want to throw in here, though, too, is um, now of course the haiku community, community, we really revere Basho. In his time, you know, he, w- he came up in a time when uh, uh, what, of course, wasn't haiku back then, you know, in his time it had become very courtly and very you know, kind of frivolous and then using lots of pretty words. And mm-hmm. he kind of came in and said we should get back to simpler, we should get back to, yeah. you know, uh, a more nature-driven and more everyday life approach. So how, you know, how much do we have to seek out and get rid of those fancy words? Or, you know, it should at least be a question. If you've got a fancy word in there, you've got to question yourself, should it be?
0: Yeah, I have to agree with that one. And again, like going back to the previous bit of our discussion and, and all the reading I did, I found even though some of the words were a little bit overblown, they, there was a good reason for it. Either we've moved on, we've evolved. So it just mm-hmm. seems seems like that. Sure. Or, you know, it really had the word, really had a place in the poem whether it was a you know sort of contemporary modern or haiku senryu. the words generally not not every time but generally they had a, a real place in the, the poem and I, I didn't have i didn't have too much of a problem and again i looked through my notebook and yeah. uh, i found this in misty season iridescent maples pale the third age Mm. And it got booted out, or at least it didn't get worked on on any further for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons was iridescent. I thought, oh, it's it's too much, too much for that particular verse. It's too highfalutin, whatever. But I think if I was going back to it now, I think I'd probably leave it in. And the point I was trying to make, I guess, is that the more you work on your writing, the Mm. more you get a feel for whether the word is right or the words are right. And I'm not one of those poets that can just sort of snap off a, a haiku and be happy with it. Well, not often. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do. But generally, I'll leave it a few days and go back to it and, and have a look. I think it's always worth doing that. You might get lucky, but more often than not, that you'll go back and you think, no, that word just wasn't right.
1: Well, interesting enough, if I may, i yeah. be looking at this. Mm-hmm. For me, the as it's written right here, iridescent Mm -hmm. is problematic for me. Okay. But I think part of that reason is it's, you know, if that word's going to be in there, it's really going to have an impact. And so maybe in this, it's the fact, I don't think if you don't necessarily need the third age Uh, in that, you know, it might work better without, you know, if that iridescence pretty much the only pop, whereas here, you know, you're dealing with that and the, you know, my mind's got to work in two different (laughs) angles.
0: that is really interesting i'll tell you what i was trying to do with this i was i was taking a walk basically and uh, i saw this wonderful maple tree in somebody's garden and it was it was beautiful but it was at the point where all the colors the beautiful colors are starting to change on the on the maple so you know it's autumn you know some of the leaves were that wonderful red and some of the, some of them were paling into this sort of the oranges um and there were you know there were hints of green around the tree as well Mm. what I was trying to get at those colors were beginning to fade and the misty season for me is connected to the third age because what I was trying to get at Mm. is that not only was it autumn seasonally but it was the autumn of of my life and you know I was heading towards that third age and all the colors you know as as you get older your colors become quite faded and pale or at Mm. least uh, my sort of Celtic colours were starting to fade. And that's what I was trying to get through. But as you say, not only was iridescent problematical, but the third age was problematical. it was just too... Um, it doesn't fit. So... Yeah. I'm going to have to go back, if I if I go back to it at all. But it was because you would you suggested I had to look through my notebook. So <laughs> that's how it sort of came to it, really, how I came to it. And I thought, well, sure. you know, that possibly ha- that has potential, but I'm going to have to go back and do it. But you're right, the third age, it's, it's got to go. Mm. Words have their place, and we have to be very careful as poets. Yeah, Not but... to just jump in with both feet straight away and, and maybe go back and reconsider.
1: Uh, and I'm, I was looking at stuff, you know, that, uh, that had gotten out in the world. Uh, did I have some words that creeped in, and? Uh, that were pretentious? Uh, I've come up with a few, uh, but I'm, I kind of defend the use of them. <laughs> and actually, interesting enough, the first one that I came across was one that was in, uh, in the podcast, uh, here back in July, well, July of last year, mm-hmm. uh, where I used the word triangulation. For me, uh, really that one is the only thing that captured that experience. And it was about a pine tree you know, walking through the forest and seeing this pine tree, leaned over. Mm. Uh, and I oh, yeah. Okay, and I like, know the
0: one. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, But it
0: made sense.
1: Yes, it did. And it was the first thing that popped in my head when I saw it, too, right. and it it worked. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of a fancy word. I also use uh, gnarled recently, which, again, for the old apple tree I was describing, there was just no better word. I mean, I could have used twisted or something like that, but gnarled just
0: ruined. Oh, yeah, gnarled. <laughs> yeah, you see, I don't have a problem with those because they make sense. And it adds, it adds to, it's a strong word. Um, mm. And I think that's the other thing we have to look for.
1: Yeah. Uh, and well, that- and we have to understand, I mean, one thing that's kind of, again, from my personal life uh, that I've had to deal with, uh, you know, even as a kid, I read a lot and, you know, I'm always reading something in novels, you know, poetry, whatever. And my sister, I have an older sister and she simply didn't, you know, she wasn't interested in reading all that much. and they, You know, only what, she had to do so my vocabulary is just broader than hers and and Mm -hmm. there are times where she actually accuses me of basically trying to use a word just to confuse her or tease her (laughs) like no it's just the word that pops into my head (laughs) so So, but we do have to you know life experience is going to bring you know what your life experience is going to impact you know what you think of as fancy or or overblown words
0: you brought up the thesaurus idea Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've lived here in Switzerland for just over 20 years, and um, my English isn't what it used to be. It, <laughs> it slips, and sometimes sure. sometimes I'll know the German for something, and I won't know the English anymore. Desire has become more important in my life, but how do you find, how do you go about getting that, that word?
1: I do find myself, when I'm writing, often checking a word that I'm going to use, by you know, pulling up the dictionary. Of course, I I just do everything online now but, mm-hmm. uh, instead of flipping out the yeah, books. Yeah, that's true. but I do find myself checking the definition of words or checking the thesaurus to see if there are other words. Mainly just to you know, I guess it's part of it, it's just reassurance uh, to myself, or just to make sure, you know. Sometimes we have a definition in our head that's personal.
0: Yeah,
1: is not universal enough, and then sometimes when I check, I realize you know, well, this word actually is going to work very well because. Not only does it mean what I think I want it to mean in this thing, it means something else that gives it a wider definition. I'm, I'm using that to check a word I've already thought is going to work, but I'm not like combing through it to find words I want to use. If that makes sense. The other thing I want to make sure we get into here real quick, just before we move on to the other thing is, you know, looking back through the history of haiku, of course, is one, one way, as you read over, works or the history works you know you get a feel for what is what's the norm you know Mm -hmm. what 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 really is in haiku but we do have to be a little careful with that too i think particularly with early translations of japanese haiku because and i'm talking you know about 100 years ago when it first really started getting looked at and translated Mm -hmm. um again they were at times, some of those translators were trying to impose a Western idea of what poetry is to a Japanese form of, of work. And so the words they chose and the way that they chose to express it is colored by the uh, poetry traditions of the time. Yeah. And nowadays, yeah. if we were to interpret it, we would do it differently.
0: A bit of an abrupt stop, but next time we're going to complete our chat by talking about Craig's third category, audacious or original haiku. Do join us in November for that. I think it's a cracking one. After listening to our chat, there were a few things I wanted to ask you. Is there a haiku or senryu that has a word in it which makes the haiku really come alive for you, which makes it sing, as Craig said? What's your process for finding the strongest possible words for your work? Is it the thesaurus? Is it being widely read so it naturally comes to you? Or is there something else in your process that helps you? And with regard to the topics for next year, I want to delve deeper into techniques. So are there any techniques you would really like to explore? Just let me know by email. Thank you. Now I'd like to bring you our latest complete Renku. I do love creating Renku. It's a wonderful opportunity to work with haiku poets in a way I don't normally get a chance to. It's a cooperative way of working, which often engenders interesting discussion. And I'd say about a third of the verses are eventually different to their original. This time, I'd like to thank James Young, Ian Speed, Giddy Nielsen-Sweep and Michael Barrabo for joining me. If you go to the show notes, you'll find out which poet was responsible for each verse. And of course, it will be in the next journal, which I'm working on now. If you'd like to be involved in creating Renku, just drop me an email to let me know. And so here it is, the latest Renku, called Winter Bites. Winter Bites, in my rice bowl, only tears. Scratching the snow, a squirrel's hoard. Found food functions better than exotic recipes and fancy dining. No feet of clay for this plodding housewife. Flower moon, a coolness creeps into the harrowed soil. Slaked limestone, life's bitter sweetness. My kiln belly, Anticipating the crop, I plough on. Hunger for bitterness leaves upturned earth unsweetened. Kissed by summer, asleep in the bee meadows, a trout stream. In the frying pan, hibiscus flowers float. Colour tour, a thermos for tea to warm our hands. Plucking clover for its nectar. Pollinated, infusing the red petals. A moth circles around the moon's reflection. Starlight. Caterpillars feasting on nasturtiums. The rabbits left me one garden tomato. In the spotlight... Table roses and stew. Run, bunny, run. Dewdrops on the leftovers. Sunrise. Sipping coffee together. Plates wiped clean. Mug empty. Sunset alone. Kintsugi. The porcelain bowl beneath the last few candles. Donburi friends, breaking bread in golden times. Thanks once again to those poets who joined me in the Renku this time. I hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what your feedback is, because all of us would be interested. Thank you. Next up, there's a first for the podcast. Jennifer got in touch to volunteer herself to do a reading. Thanks, Jennifer. Don't forget, you're most welcome to do the same. It's super to hear other voices on the podcast. I discovered when I virtually chatted with Jennifer that she's rather a successful Boon author, and so, as I know many of you are interested in the form, and I know next to nothing about it, I asked Jennifer to do a hibern reading for us, and there are links in the show notes to the works. So without further ado, welcome Jennifer.
2: Hi, I'm Jennifer Hambrick in Columbus, Ohio, USA. I'm really happy to be giving what I'm told is the first ever high bun reading on the Poetry P podcast, and I'm really just delighted to be with you. I've got a few high bun for you today. The first one is called That Summer, and it won first prize in the Haiku Society of America's 2018 High Bun Award competition. That summer, everything was wheelio, bling bling-bloop, water-in-the-frying-pan, skittery doo Everything purple and pink, crackly crunch, salty sweet lemon lime. Everything high-heeled, lip-glossed, hair-moused, thonged, pixie cut. Everything schools out, girlish pout, without a doubt, push and shout. Everything untied, wide-eyed, jute-chinned, hemmed in, taken, and bake glass-bead, knock-kneed. Everything tilt-a-whirl, carousel, gyro-tower, brown cow, show-them-how, nope, no going back now. Walking around in a new place first kiss This next high bun was inspired by the idea of that guy who goes to his favorite local watering hole but there's a bit of a twist this high bun is called virgin She jumps each time he makes a fist a patch of faded orange fire surrounds her Her eyes are inked coal black circles her mouth a straight dark line A cross hangs from her neck. She hides behind a veil of brown hair. I saw her on a deck of cards, he tells the bartender, but it kind of feels good to have her around. Mellow evening. A mantis prays in the river grass. The bartender looks for a moment, then nods and places a newly dried tiki glass on a shelf behind the bar. Another soda and lime, sir? Or something stronger? Nah, the man says. I don't drink. If you're listening to this podcast while still in quarantine because of the pandemic, this next haibun might resonate. You might kind of feel it. This haibun is called Pandemic Power Walk, and it won an honorable mention in the 2020 Haiku Society of America Haibun Award Competition. Concrete sidewalk, grid of tree lined days, all out of phase in droplet haze, lives stopped cold on hold behind closed doors. Walk through the neighborhood, past locked up park, past school gone dark, to worn dirt trail, break a sweat behind a mask of cotton caution. Jet black sneakers kick up dirt, heart beats fast, mop up sweat, walk and walk, earbud talk of health mess, don't get sick old man leans on walking stick. Walk faster, faster, don't get sick. Walk faster, walk around through graveyard, still with cold hard ground, with death mask grin, around again, again. Kick buckets of dirt, sweaty mask, sweaty shirt, breathing fast and hard and heavy, through that mask, through that mask, we might just live forever. Empty street, a family of deer keeping their distance. And one final high bun for you here. You know that feeling when you're starting out on a road trip and it's just you and your travel buddies and the open road? That's kind of the feeling in this high bun called Footloose. He bought the car and named it Mary Ellen a long time before we met, and she didn't have any air conditioning, but who cares on a day like today? Because the sun's out and the windows are down and we've got highway wind going and I take off my flimsy flip-flops and stick my feet with the purple toenail polish out the window and close my eyes, and for a little while I forget about the time Mary Ellen screwed me over with a flat tire the first time I drove her, and it's like the sun itself is beaming up inside me like a big, giant Necco wafer. Endless day. Rainbow on the skin of a bubble. I'm Jennifer Hembrick here in Columbus, Ohio. Catch me at jenniferhambrick.com. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. I enjoyed that reading very much. It's encouraged me to have a go at Hybron when I have some time. Gosh, that was a packed podcast, wasn't it? Thank you all for coming along and listening. And of course, to Craig, Jennifer, and my wonderful Renku poets, for their contributions to our fun today. I do hope you enjoyed it, and I welcome your feedback, so keep it coming. And speaking of keeping it coming, I'm going down to one PTV moment a week from November, but I'm still welcoming videos, so please keep them coming too. If you're interested, but don't know what I'm looking for, just send me an email. But remember, October's a difficult month for me this year, so responses won't be quite as quick as usual. And of course, don't forget, I'm awaiting your submissions for the Social Issues topic. Deadline, 1st of November. So once again, thank you, and I look forward to joining you again in a couple of weeks for the podcast featuring found poetry. What an adventure that was. Until then, keep writing. Now, there's lots of information in the show notes, but if I've missed something that you really want to know about, just send me an email and I'll get back to you.
2: Ciao!